0: You are listening to the Real Estate Proverbs podcast with host Kevin Jefferson. This is the number one podcast for African-American real estate professionals who are doing extraordinary things. It's time to tune in. And now your host, the people's lender, Kevin Jefferson. Welcome to the Real Estate Proverbs podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Jefferson. And today we have a special guest, Mr. Donnell Taylor. How you doing, brother? I'm good, Kevin. Thanks for inviting me to the podcast. Uh, no problem. No problem. Donnell, tell us a little bit about who you are. Um, Well, right now, I'm still,
1: still Donnell Taylor. Actually, I am the uh, operations director here at Village Premier Collection Merlin um, and also the team leader of the TaylorMade team in the Merlin, D.C., Virginia area. Um, a husband a father of two i have one son that's 23 and another son that's 12 and an all around entrepreneur okay awesome um tell us how you got into real estate um so how i got into real estate was funny um we when i met my wife we was we was broke that's that's usually how i start like we were broke um we were living out in laurel and at the time this was when short sales was real heavy and i was looking at what we paid for our house i think we was in a townhouse we paid 269 for the house and it was two bedrooms two baths two levels the house that was adjacent to it right next door um the people came in they bought that house and it was three bedrooms two and a half bathrooms three two levels and they paid one hundred and sixty nine thousand dollars for the house um, so immediately i went in to start looking at real estate we got an agent to do a short sale on our property so that we can, you know, sell that property and get one at a reasonable price because the market was so high at that point. I mean, the market was starting to get low and we paid so much. And through that time, while we're looking at houses, trying to put our house on the market as a short sale, I'm looking at the agent. And first thing I did was look at my wife and say, hey, you could do that. She's just filling in the blanks. And that's what most people think that we do as real estate agent. And I'm guilty of it. I thought the same exact thing.
0: Okay, so who got in? Who got their license first? You or your wife? She got her
1: license first. We was actually working um, full time jobs. She took off for two weeks, took her vacation for two weeks. And at that time, she did the 10 day class. So it was a 10 day class to complete that 60 hours in 10 days. She went from nine to five and from five to about maybe 12, one o'clock in the morning every day for 10 days straight. She went to the library to study, finished the 10 day course and on the 12th day passed the exam and then real estate started from there.
0: Wow. What did you guys do prior to uh, real estate?
1: Uh, We worked at a nonprofit organization. That's where I met her at. At a nonprofit organization, I was actually a supervisor in the mailroom and she worked upstairs in accounting. She was um, she graduated from Howard. So she has a accounting major.
0: OK, you dropping your mail off spitting game. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody
1: wanted to come to the mailroom for some reason or not. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool.
0: So how um, how long after she got her license, did you get yours?
1: she got her license in 2012. I didn't get my license until 2015. Um, By 2012, business had started picking up and she needed help. And a lot of the agents that she were looking to for help just wasn't really like cutting it. So I said, you know what, I'll just get my license and then I'll become your helper at that time, which was only supposed to be a helper at that time. But By the time I got my license and got in, business started growing so much, it just turned into a whole uh, career for us to run the real estate business.
0: Awesome. So what did did your first year look like coming in to assist your wife? So my first year coming in, she
1: basically just like threw me out there in the fire Uh, because we all know once you finish real estate school, it tells you a lot of the language of real estate but don't tell you how to go service clients um, and actually run a real estate business. So I had to figure out all of that. And she was doing buyers and she was doing listings at the same time. So she gave all the buyers to me so that she can kind of be home with with our son. Because while she was running a real estate business and working a full-time job, I was home for those three years with our son. So we kind of switched. And then I got all the buyers. So my first year, I think I closed like 21 deals because we had, she had all of this business. And the only thing that I dealt with at that time was buyers. So I just started out working with buyers and I ran buyers the whole entire first year.
0: Gotcha. At this point, were you full-time, a full-time agent or were you still working for the nonprofit? No, I was actually full-time. I had left the nonprofit to start
1: a cable construction company with a couple of buddies of mine. So I was contracted through cable companies and we was doing cable construction, um, on commercial properties for, um, for a lot of time. Then I kind of backed away from that. And then I was doing commercial surveys and then I got my license in real estate and then I left that cable industry altogether and started full time in real estate.
0: Okay. What did your second year look like uh, going in? Now you've got 21 deals under your belt. So this um, was 2016. So the second year,
1: <laughs> we, the second year, we really kind of got going. The first year we finished up with me doing that 21. We finished up a little over 50 transactions. Then that second year, I already kind of knew what I was doing. Um, we ended up getting a coach and get growing. And we started probably we probably hit about 70 something transactions that year. So we was, we was pretty busy from the time I came into real estate and the next few years, cause that same year that I came in, she left her full-time job and then went full-time in real estate herself.
0: Gotcha. And that was 2015 was probably the beginning of what we would see as a normal market. We kind of got out of the foreclosure market hedge funds had purchased a lot of stuff. So we were on the tail end of what was considered a downturn in real estate. So in order to close 50 transactions, that's that's commendable. Thank you. And it it was like <clears throat> it was to me, it was like a buyer's market because I
1: was like I was able to actually get people under contract and even in getting people con- under contract. It was several times where I was getting people 4% seller help. Um, Getting everything fixed on a home inspection, it was it was definitely a different market. Like it ain't happening right now. You barely even getting a home inspection, but <laughs> back then you can get seller help, home inspection, get the seller to pay for the warranty. Almost everything that the buyer wanted, even to the one point where I was feeling like, well, buyers really control the market because the sellers. It wasn't like it was now. Like you couldn't put a house on the market and then it sell in two days. Like you actually had to
0: work as a listing agent to get your property to sell. And that was that market. Gotcha. So your business, when did you guys create the TaylorMade team? So the TaylorMade team created in 2018. So three
1: years after I got in um, with, you know, through coaching and building the business and the business just started to grow out of what me and her could handle. And I felt like we learned so much From just not knowing real estate at all that we decided to build a team, bring people in and help them grow their business the way that we grew out. What was your first hire? Our first hire was transaction coordinator. Um, She always she had a transaction coordinator when I came in. Um, But by the time we got to 2018, we hired an executive assistant that we combined to be a transaction coordinator at the same time. Because at this time, we was probably around somewhere between 70, 80 transactions. And then when we just did the math, when you add up 300 $350 times 80 transactions, it comes out yearly to be an actual salary that you can pay somebody that had somebody full time. So we made that transition to have an EA as a dual person that was doing the executive assistant task and also the transaction coordinating, which later on we figured out that was the wrong way to do it, but money was involved. So you figured out what was best for your business at the time.
0: Right. So what made it the wrong thing to do? Like what what did you guys realize?
1: Um, because as you get busy and you got somebody being your executive assistant, they're doing executive assistant tasks, like they're answering their phones. Um, they're signing leads that come in through the phone, they're creating flyers. Um, they're just doing <laughs> a lot of things that don't necessarily have to do with transactions. And then when you're doing 60 and 70 transactions, you got four and five closings happening in a month, something going to drop at some point, something's really going to fall apart at one point. And that's what started to happen. Like The business started to fall apart. And one of the things that I always say, and I try to tell all of the agents that come in, build your business bigger than you anticipated to be because when you get to a certain point and your business was only built so just say for instance our business was only built probably the whole 50 transactions at one point and then we got to 70 and 80 and the business started falling apart so now you have to go back at 50 transactions and recreate your business over so that it can handle more transactions so I always say build your business bigger than what you anticipated to be this way you won't have to
0: break it down in the middle and start rebuilding it all over again. Gotcha. So once you figured out that the dual position didn't work, how soon did you hire a TC?
1: Um, what we ended up doing was I didn't hire a TC. I took that executive assistant and made them full-time TC and then hired an admin. Okay. Um, just because they knew The position, they knew what to do, and it was an easier transition because you probably already had like anywhere between fifteen and twenty five pendants on the book, and you don't want to bring somebody new in and start all over again. So we just moved her over, and then hired a another
0: EA at that point. Gotcha. So once you had the EA in place and the transaction coordinator had, did you have any additional agents at that time, or did you begin bringing on agents?
1: That's when we uh, started bringing on agents. Uh, We started out with maybe three agents at that time. Three agents at that time. And then at that time when we started bringing on agents and things started really flowing, uh, we realized we didn't have a system. (laughs) 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 So that's when we found out you need a system because the system was only geared to work for me and her because it was me and her. Right. But now you start adding people, the system for you and her, me and her, doesn't work for five and six other people that's gonna be involved in it. So we ended up, like I said, restarting it all over again. Gotcha. So when what year was this you think when you had to restart? This, this was in twenty eighteen, towards the twenty eight, the end of twenty eighteen, going into twenty nineteen.
0: Gotcha. How did you know which system to implement that would work for you and your team it was um it was a a big challenge because you didn't
1: really know um all you knew was you had a lot of business and now you're trying to figure out how to make it work for everybody um and then you're trying to figure out okay how can I track the stuff that's coming into the business how can I make sure you getting the equal amount you getting the equal amount how can I make sure that the assistant can see what's going on how- It was just it was so much stuff going on. And I think what happened, what made us realize that we really needed some system was the person that I had as the EA that moved to the um, transaction coordinator got sick one day. So they got sick. And ultimately, when they get sick, you have to fill in for them. So we filled in for them. There's 20 transactions on the books and we are in the system or what we thought was a system, and we couldn't figure out anything. We didn't know what was going on, any you know, any of the contracts. We didn't know where anything was. It was nothing in a central location. So we spent a week. It got to the point where I had to, so me and my wife got separate offices in the house. I had to go downstairs, grab her computer, bring it up into my office, and we stayed in there for a week trying to figure out this whole mess. Mm-hmm. It was it was just a mess at that point, and um, because I worked with buyers, and when I first came in, I didn't do any of the transaction. Like I didn't do anything for compliance. Um, I didn't have to do any of those things, so I really knew nothing about that because we always had a transaction coordinator. So what happened was when she moved into my office, she was doing the transaction coordinator, and I became the assistant to try to get all those deals. And at this point, we probably had ten people on the team and it was like 20, 25 transactions pending, your EA who created the system for you or what we thought was a system is out sick and you can't get in touch with them to try to figure out anything.
0: Wow. (laughs) Wow. Wow. So hindsight, how would you have done things differently in the beginning and before you hired your EA and your TC? I think, um, and what I changed to,
1: Moving forward was in a lot of times it depends to um, who you got coaching you and who you got mentors. because what tends to happen is you tend to trust those people and listen to their advice. And all the time, some of the things that work for some people won't necessarily work for you. Um, But when you trust somebody, you kind of follow them. So for me, I felt like we took a little bit of um, bad advice and we ran with it. Uh, Cause what they what what was told was bring on an EA, bring on somebody and let them create your system for you. Um but at the same time when you do something like that, you don't really understand what's going on in your business um because somebody else created it for you. And which is which is given and it'd probably be as the CEO, you probably won't know, but we wasn't at a point where we couldn't know what was going on. We was doing, you know, 70 transactions and it was busy, but You should definitely know what's going on in your business. So now what I do is I create the system myself and then I bring in talented people to enhance the system.
0: That makes sense. And, you know, I guess looking at it from the outside in, the person, if you let that person create the system, they probably create the system that worked for them.
1: Exactly. So the EA that got went out sick, I'm gonna tell you exactly what the system was. The system was a Google email and how they knew that they didn't talk to somebody was they left the messages unread. Mm. So for somebody that's coming into that, you have no idea when this email is coming in, that's unread every day. And that's how they was tracking, which was a complete nightmare. There's no way to track 25, 25 deals under contract. And you you only have them because you know, they wasn't read. So, you know, you didn't follow up on that. It, wow. was, it was a complete mess.
0: How long did it take? I guess. I mean, in that week, did you and your wife get things squared away in terms of a better system or did it take longer?
1: Well, we we did get things squared away because I stayed up like actually looking on the Internet or um, software. Like, what can we use? What can we use as a, a software that can centralize all of this stuff? So if somebody gets sick and then I sent somebody else into the system you can see and you can pick up from there. So I spent all night, we found something um, and we started using that product and we've been using that ever since. And it's it's centralized all the transactions, everything is there. So even if you being in real estate and I say, hey, um, can you go in and take care of this transaction? There's a checklist. Everything is sitting right there. You can figure out exactly where this transaction le- left off at and
0: continue to pick it up from there. Gotcha. Um... Currently, how many agents do you guys have on your team?
1: Right now, we have six agents. We have six agents right now, one executive assistant, one transaction coordinator, and two ISAs. Gotcha. And for those who don't know, can you tell us what an ISA is? Uh, ISA is an inside sales agent. um, And what their job is to do is to make phone calls and set appointments for the agents on the team. And I just started with a new group of ISAs um, probably like two weeks ago. I've done this. I've made an attempt to have an ISA probably four times um, and failed four times miserably with that. (laughs) Are your ISAs here in the States or are they outside? They're actually in the Philippines. Philippines. Um, My transaction coordinator is in the Philippines and my two ISAs are in the Philippines. The only... Uh, person that's here live is uh, our
0: executive assistant got you um cool so in terms of at this point you're at a different place than you Mm -hmm. are now correct yep um when did you transition to uh village realty village premier i'm sorry so
1: the brokers we came from, we was, we was with Keller Williams. Um, at the time, we was the number one team in that office for a couple of years. Um, the, the last two years, we finished off probably a hundred, anywhere from 115, 109 transactions for just over 35 million a year. Um, but under the structure in that particular atmosphere, uh, you know, with the brokerage splits and things like that, it was, it was hard. Yeah to get the team members more of the revenue because of the splits. And with the way that people work, you want everybody to be rewarded. Um, so I start talking to my wife and say, hey, let's let's start looking at um, our own brokerage. And then in, in that journey, she was like, well, I don't know anything about a brokerage. And I'm like, neither do I, but somebody that we know do. Um, and that's when we reached out to Cherie, who's actually the owner of Village, For coaching and guidance on how will how can we, you know, go independent and create our own brokerage, and then one of the things in that coaching that I never forget is she all she said, what I want you to do is go out and speak to ten different franchises and find out what they had to offer and what you think will work best for you, and then on Mm -hmm. our next coaching call, we came back and I reported everything that I got from them, told them what I liked what I didn't like about them. And then after all of that was said, that's when she brought up village to us that, you know, it was opportunity to bring village to DC and you guys can um, own that village and run that village. And that's how we got the village.
0: Okay, cool. So how long was, uh, so two things, how long had you been getting coaching? We started um,
1: We started coaching probably, I know she started coaching probably in 2013, 2014 by herself. And then when I came in, we started coaching and then we went to a, a different coaching company. That's where we met Sheree at, um, developed that relationship through the years. Um, and
0: even now, we still getting coached. Do you guys coach your agents or do they participate in the same coaching program as you so no we
1: we coach them um through village we run a mentorship program and through the mentorship program there's a 12 session boot camp that we just take the agents from zero coming in up until running a business and then after that they get assigned not really assigned but we have mentors which are some of the top agents in the brokerage and they get to interview them and see which mentor will best fit their business the way they run and run their business. And then they whip those mentors for the next six
0: transactions. Gotcha. And so you went to 10 different brokerages. Um, mm-hmm. What was it that made you select Village Premier over those? The biggest thing that made me select Village Premier was
1: the relationship that we had with Cherie. Um, we knew Cherie, we trusted Cherie, um, and she had something that we was looking for that we can go, we can go with. Um, one of the things that I do know about business, if you run your own business and you control your business, you decide who you want to spend your money with or who you want to, to grow. Um, and it's like, okay, if I'm growing other people and she's here, I trust her. I'm going to go with you I, because I could decide where my money goes. You run the business is your business. Gotcha.
0: Cool. So, um, What is one of the drawbacks you would say of running your brokerage versus running a team in another organization? Um, You have to be mentally
1: prepared for that because, at first, when it was only you and the team, that was the only thing that you had to worry about um, generating knowledge, leads, and helping your team grow. And then when you start to run a brokerage and you also have a team, You got to be able to separate the two because now you still have to do the same things that you was doing for the team. And plus, you're responsible for all the agents that come into the brokerage to help them grow and succeed as well.
0: Are you a, not necessarily, do you still sell uh, or are you fully running the brokerage? I don't sell. Um, My wife, she still
1: does listings, Um, but for me, I totally transitioned out to running the whole operations side of the business. Um, that includes basically running a brokerage, running the mentorship program, um, still running the team at the same time. Um, so I haven't, I honestly haven't sold
0: a property since 2022. Okay, so what is, um, what does it look like on a, what does your schedule look like on a daily basis in terms of being a broker versus when you were working as an agent? Like what's the big, probably the biggest difference, you think? Uh, spend a lot more time talking. <laughs> <laughs> a lot more time talking in a lot
1: more meetings. Because um, now, but if you, if you look at it, it's probably the same. So instead of appointments with clients, I have a lot of appointments with agents, um, helping them grow their business. Um, being in different meetings, getting the opportunity to speak to people like you on podcast, which is, which is awesome for me. Cause I'm not the person that talk. If you, if you don't say something directly to me, I'm probably not going to say nothing. Um, so you get opportunity to talk and be able to grow people and see people grow. Cause we came from zero knowledge in real estate to now running a, a whole full fledged brokerage. So I just want to be able to do that for other people.
0: Gotcha. At the height of your business, what was, how many, at the height of the team, what was the most amount of agents you had?
1: At one point, we was at about 15 agents at one point. And then, I don't want to say issue, but one of the things that becomes hard with that is controlling your culture. Um, and 15 different personalities that you're dealing with on a regular basis and trying to maintain a culture, that became a little a little up in the air and then we what we ended up doing was kind of getting back down to who the core of the business was and then we started to build back again um because we got into a thing where it was a numbers thing right like they was like you got to bring them in you don't know who can do this you don't know who can do that so your team started to feel like a revolving door and i didn't want a revolving door like i wanted to build a culture even though you know, you're going to have people to come in, people going to leave once they grow to a certain point, you want them to be able to stand on their own anyway. But I didn't want people coming in, staying for like three days, three a week or so and then leaving. So um, we broke it down from about 15, 16 that back down to like six.
0: Okay. With that being said and, and having the ability to control your culture, how big do you want your agency to be? Uh, our goal for this
1: year is to get to a hundred. Okay. Um, one of the things that I, I want to happen, and it's really hard, is I want everybody that come through here to be productive at some point. You know what I mean? Like I don't want to have this brokerage with a bunch of numbers and then I got 40%, 30% of them just on your roster, not generating no kind of wealth for themselves. So that's one of the goals that I'm trying to do, make sure that we can get people in, get them productive so that
0: they can change their life. With that being said, are you guys bringing on brand spanking new agents or are you looking for more seasoned agents? Um, we we bring on brand spanking new agents. That's mostly what the mentorship
1: program is, is for. Um, and right now we're redoing the mentorship program to actually get the brand new agents in the production. Um, we definitely look for
0: seasoned agents as well. Um, but we we bring them all in. Gotcha. Um, in terms of production, I'm assuming that your wife is probably still top producer. Yeah, she's still top producer. She still does
1: anywhere between 40, 40 transactions by herself. Um, because she's the actual broker of the company. Um, so she still has broker responsibilities as well. But she's on the listing side. So with the systems and the tools that we have, she goes on listing appointment. We give it to the listing manager. They pretty much handle it from there. So she has a lot of freedom to be able to still sell at that level and not necessarily be always engulfed into that side of real estate. She can still run the brokerage.
0: Gotcha. So is the tailor made team more so set up as a team oriented or is it more of a brokerage? And I'll and I'll explain what I mean. Is Are you and your wife (laughs) the rainmakers and you filter everything out or do agents come in and they have to eat what they kill? A little bit of both.
1: Okay. Um, And that's how we got to the point of being able to start a village because it was almost like we was running a mini brokerage inside of a brokerage. Um, Do we provide leads? Um, Do we take care of a lot of things that you would necessarily have to take care of your own? Yes. But it's not solely based off of what I provide for you. You do have to go out and generate some business because the last thing that I want is when you leave this team, you have no idea what to do in real estate. Um, you If you leave the team, I expect you to be able to get out and run your own business by yourself and then be successful at it. So that's why we didn't do. Because I know a lot of teams, they write offers for their clients. I mean, they write offers for their agents. They give them all the leads. They do different things. Um, and then when the agents leave, it's almost like they just got out of school because they didn't know how to do anything because they did everything for them. Um, so that was the last thing that I wanted to happen. Got you. What inspires you to grow? It, I think it's just from where I came from, like where we grew up. We grew up in the hood. But we didn't have any money. Um, I ain't even graduated from high school until I was 20 years old. Um, so just, just having that background and then you getting into a place where you can see there's no ceiling, no limit to the amount that you can achieve. That's, that's what keep me going. And then for me, being in those situations young, I try to live my life being uncomfortable. So, you know, they say, everybody says success is when you get uncomfortable. I try to stay in that place and that's what allowed me to grow. So I try to never get comfortable where I'm at. There's always a change that could be made. Um, Or always something that you can tweak to get yourself to the next level. So for me, there's no comfortable. And I just think where I came from pretty much drives me to
0: keep on moving. Gotcha. In terms of, you know, production, you know, we're we're in a shifting market. Uh, What are some things that you guys are planning for yourself and your agents to try to beat the curve? Um, I think what we, what we've been planning is,
1: is, is teaching agents how to actually work, you know, kind of getting over what's been going on. Like it's going to get to a point where you're going to have to go on your listing appointment and you're going to have to win it. Like it was at that point where you might go on a listing before and it was five or six agents. You either want to be the first one or you wanted to be the last one so that you can win it. Um, even on the bias consultations. You have to have a, a good consultation so that you can actually win a client. So we're just teaching them the actual fundamentals. So it's not so much things are falling in your lap because in this market that's coming up, you're going to actually have to work for your business and you're going to know, need to know how to do that.
0: Gotcha. What would you say if I'm a new agent coming to the Taylor May team? Um, And I know you have the mentoring program. What are some of the key components that I need to be doing from the beginning in order to start out with a good foundation? Um, Prospecting. So if you come
1: into the May team, all the systems are in place for you. Right. So you just have to plug into them Um, and then you need to start prospecting immediately. Uh, So what I tell a lot of people like we think we in real estate, but we, our job is prospecting. And if you're not doing any prospecting, you're not getting any business. Like just because you got a license, business ain't gonna show up. So we need to start prospecting, whether you are using the dollar to uh, do circle prospecting, um, using your phone to call people that you know, let them know you're in real estate. You have to start doing something on a daily basis to try to generate business. Um, even if you outside, you passing out your business card, you are meeting people in the store, something,
0: somewhere, you have to be doing something on a daily basis to generate business. Got you. And in terms of prospecting, how much time do you uh, tell them to time block to prospect? And what does prospecting Uh, look like? At a bare minimum, I'm telling them to do at least an hour. So what we got on Mm
1: -hmm. the team um, and we switched it because it used to be, all right, make 20 contacts a day and you should be good. But what we found, especially because 90% of the people on our team have full-time jobs. Um, So if you're trying to make 20 contacts in a day and you got a full-time job, you end up talking to people, just giving them your name and passing out your card, which is not necessarily going to help you if they don't call you. So we switched that later on to having uh, five real estate conversations with people. Um, Have five real estate conversations with people a day. Um, And that should be Good. So, but if you have a real conversation with people in reference to real estate, it's a lot better than you just running around passing out twenty cards and not knowing if you can get them. But have five real conversations with people every day. That's twenty five conversations out the week. Um, you should be able to get some piece of business out of that some kind of way.
0: What does that follow up look like?
1: So previously, that follow up, they would go in the database, they would add them to a campaign, um, and it would start following up with them for them when they can't follow up and then they would you know try to set an appointment with them but now uh, we have the isas so now the isas are calling you know the leads that come in and they're setting up appointments for the agents they give it to the agents and then the agents call so now i have the isas in charge of doing the follow-up with everybody until they're ready to get to a point of setting an appointment and then they give it to the actual team members
0: yeah true Are you guys currently doing any paid uh, leads? How do you generate leads?
1: So we generate leads on a dollar. Um, We do a lot of circle prospecting, call expires, um, call for sale by owners. We do pay for leads. Uh, We use uh, Google pay-per-click ads um, through the database that we use. And then we also use referral sources. So all the referral sources that's out there, we signed up with them. Uh, a lot of people say oh, I ain't gonna pay them 25%, but we signed up with them, we use them too.
0: Gotcha. And that's uh that's kind of like a lot of people look at it differently. Like, yeah, I'm not paying them 25%, but they don't get paid until you close. Right. And a hundred percent of zero is still zero. <laughs> man, you've been looking at my notes, man. I say that all. I say that all the time. I talk to agents, you know, from the lending standpoint, and I just kind of pick them, pick, you know, talk to them and see how they're doing. And I mm-hmm. always ask them, like, do you want a whole grape or half a watermelon? Right. Because you can get ninety, ninety five percent of your commission, but if you close in one deal every couple months. Is that mm-hmm. better than getting 50% of five deals a month to three deals a month? Like, is exactly. that the, you know, I, I try to encourage agents. The only way you're going to learn in this business is going through transactions. Mm-hmm. And if you're doing a couple of transactions, you know, a year, your learning curve is going to take a lot longer. Mm-hmm. Whereas you come in, with a legitimate team that has a rainmaker and that has a system for you to succeed as well as them, and you just not be their assistant for free unless you automatically you just all of a sudden close a deal, then you'll learn faster and you'll be able to grow. Um, right. And I think that's like a huge misconception in our industry of everybody has to be the boss. I mean, I know people that are on teams that make more money than solo agents. Yeah, me too. And they only get a portion. <laughs> You're like, they get a fraction of it, but they do so many transactions that they're like, all I have to do is show up and I do my part. But in terms of the heavy lifting, the company does it for me. They get mm-hmm. compensated for it, but I, you know, I'm OK because I do well. Yeah,
1: I think. Um, with the with the team, a lot of times the agents, they say, oh, I don't want to I don't want to um, pay the split for to be on the team, not knowing that there's a lot of costs associated with running your own real estate business. And I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions too in real estate. Like a lot of people come in and they assume that they just a real estate agent. Like there's way more to that. And that's what I'm trying to kind of like help people understand that this is a business that you're running outside of you just being a real estate agent selling and buying homes. You actually running a real estate business. So if you think about it on the business side, that same 25% that you get from that referral company, it really doesn't matter because your whole goal for your business is to generate revenue. If you go out to eat and you send your food back and then they give you another plate of food for free, but they still charge you for the plate that your partner had or the drinks that you had, they still generated revenue, but they lost some money. But right, that's right. the goal of a business is to generate revenue.
0: Right. Right. It's, uh, and I think that's the biggest thing too, man, is like people don't understand that you are running a business. Mm-hmm. And while you're entrepreneurs, the only way you're going to succeed is to, to have a system in place that works to grow the business. Um, and I think I say pretty frequently that like getting your license is just, it's one thing. When you get out, you don't know how to sell a house. You just, like house. you say, we taught, you know, the terminology and the things they teach you in real estate school, you don't even handle. Usually an attorney yep. or, or somebody else handles that stuff. Um, and I think that more companies should have more things set in place to, for agents to be successful as business owners. Um, even down to, setting up your business as an entity mm-hmm. as opposed to just being, you know, Kevin Jefferson and getting my checks sent to Kevin Jefferson, you know, set it up where your checks are drawn to Jefferson LLC or S Corp or Jefferson Incorporated and then that's where you get say you save on the tax burden. But a lot of times people want their checks in their name and they want all the money and they're chasing the deals for the yep. check because they spent everything,
1: yeah, so we try to make sure and teach them that um that's like one of the first sessions in the in the mentorship boot camp that we go through and try to get everybody to at least get an l l c before you get started and don't be getting paid in your personal name, like start that business journey from the beginning um I know with the team everybody that joined the team, we get them to get an l l c like don't get paid in your name like. Start running your business as a business. Even though you're part of the team, you're still running your own individual business within this business that we got running. That's awesome. That's great.
0: That's the first time I've heard of a brokerage that does that. Thanks. Uh, That was Sheree. And also with us too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, What would what would you tell someone to do who is aspiring to make the change from the team to actually owning a brokerage? What would be a few tips you would give them?
1: Um, I would, I would definitely say start with your mindset, um, making that transition because running a team is just that you just responsible for the team. And when you get to running a brokerage, not only do you still have to maintain your team, but you have a lot of other people outside of the team that you're responsible for their growth. And the reason why people come to your brokerage is because they trust that you're going to help them grow in the real estate. Um, they're not coming here to hang out. They're not coming here for drinks, um, even though that happens a lot of time. But the ultimate goal when people come to you is for you to help them grow their business. So if you can't mentally wrap your mind around the fact that it's two separate things and I'm responsible for another 50, 100 people growing their business along with growing the people inside of your team, it's going to be a difficult challenge for you.
0: Gotcha. Do you think that you and your wife's styles complement each other to help you run a successful brokerage? Yeah, because there's a, there's a lot of things that she can do that
1: I don't do. Um, a lot of things that I do that she can't do. So, like, me handling the operations part, which means, you know, I do a lot of the coaching. I deal with all the technology, all the training, a lot of that stuff. And then she deals with a lot of the legal stuff um, as far as contracts and um, dealing with vendors and a lot of those things that just not my wheelhouse. My wheelhouse is building stuff. Um, so I build all the systems and just manage all of that stuff.
0: Gotcha. With your business partner being your wife and when you go home, do, are you ever able to cut it off? We got
1: better at it. <laughs> I can <guess, laughs> I could say that. But um, previously, uh, it was 24-7 real estate because it was we wasn't doing nothing else. You know what I mean? So when we started the brokerage, I started getting up and coming to work every day. Okay, um, okay. Just to create some separation. We both have offices in the house and we would work from home. Um, you would go on appointments, you would come back, and it was just everything about your life was real estate. There was no separation. So um, we had to get coaching on that as well. Like it has to be a cutoff point. You have to separate it um, so that you can maintain a normal life. But other than that, our life for a couple of years was 100% real estate, real estate conversations go wake up talking about real estate. You go to bed talking about real estate all day, every day. And it was nothing else outside of that. Even if you go on a date, when we get there, we talking about real estate too. So (laughs) it was just, it was nothing. But we figured it out. We, um, through coaching and we have cutoff periods. Um, we do things together now
0: and we just don't talk about real estate. Gotcha. What, what does that time look like? Because let's think about it. Mm. She's listing, you're the broker, and then you're partners, And then you're also partners in life, husband and wife. Like, how do you cut it off? And I only say that because I know from my standpoint, from the lending side, my wife's not in real estate, but I'm always asking her opinion because she can see it from a different standpoint. As a woman, because the way their minds are, their mind works. And then as someone looking on the outside in, So how do you cut that off? Because I find myself still talking to her about certain things or she'll Mm -hmm. ask me about something that she may hear. um, But it's hard to cut off. Yeah, it's
1: really hard. So you have to have a conscious effort to stop it. Um, So I know like for me now, I had to tell her, all right, after this time, I'm not answering no more real estate questions. (laughs) Um, So... (laughs) If she come up, sometimes she'll come up and she'll ask. Or sometimes I'll go and ask. And then when I get to the door, I'll just have to turn around like, oh, all right, it's after this time. Um, but you still want your question answered. And then sometimes we'll be like, hey, I know you ain't working, but can you answer this question? <laughs> you know what I mean? So <laughs> it does bleed over. But I think if you make a conscious effort to try to
0: stop it, um, you end up with that free time sometimes. Gotcha, you, gotcha. You. Cool. So Donnell, man, this has been pretty insightful information. Um, It's great to see a standpoint of someone um, who truly has an entrepreneurial background and understands that, you know, you have to have a system in place. And so I I, I appreciate you also for telling us some of your downfalls that you ran into Mm -hmm. into running the business, you and your wife. Um, how you got into them and how you worked your way out of it. Um, so that's definitely to be, you know, commended. Because a lot of times on Thank your you. side, we just see the glamour of the, the transactions mm-hmm. and popping bottles at closing and getting the keys. Um, but we don't see, you know, the inner workings of when you go home, you and your wife talking about problems. Your admins out. And you got to step in and you don't know what the heck you're doing because you didn't have a system. Right. So, you know, those transparent moments are important uh, for inspiring brokers or just agents to hear because you don't necessarily have to have a broker to have an executive administrator or a transaction coordinator. Um, So just seeing that you need to have a system in place no matter what, because let's say you're out Mm -hmm. and you have a team member that steps up in your place they know they can see okay this is how the system runs so that's that was a great insight for anyone who wants to reach out to you ask you some questions or potentially join your brokerage how can they reach you
1: um you can reach me at at um and my phone number is 202 320
0: awesome You've been listening to the Real Estate Proverbs Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Jefferson, our guest, Mr. Don Ed Taylor, the Taylor May team. Have a great day. Thank you for listening and be sure to follow Kevin on Instagram at The People's Lender. We'll see you here next time on Real Estate Proverbs with Kevin Jefferson.